And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. And as you know, this season we've been discussing missions history. Today, we're going to step aside a little bit to talk about some of the recent events and things that are going on at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. At the time of this recording, the Hughes Auditorium at Asbury has been filled now for well over a week with students, faculty, staff, members of the community, visitors from all over the United States who are gathering together to worship, to pray, and to seek the Lord. Uh, some have been calling this a revival. Others maybe are not so sure, but revival is certainly on the mind of many people in our country at this time. Uh, determining whether or not this is a, a genuine revival is really not the goal of this podcast, but what I wanted to do was to take some time for us to think together about what is revival, what do we think about revivals as it relates to kind of historical events that have taken place, and I couldn't think of a better person to have that conversation with than my friend and colleague, Dr. Tim Booker. Dr. Booker is the Billy Graham Professor of Evangelism at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He also serves as the Associate Dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, and Ministry. Prior to coming to Southern, Dr. Booker served for six years at Wheaton College as an assistant professor of evangelism and associate director of the Institute of Evangelism in the Billy Graham Center. He has written and edited numerous works related to evangelism, discipleship, and spiritual awakening. He's also done significant teaching, writing, and research on revivals and spiritual awakenings. And I couldn't think of a person that I personally respect and trust more on this topic than Dr. Booker. So Dr. Booker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Aiken. A joy to be with you. All right. I want to start just right out of the gate. There's a lot of conversation right now about revival and people are excited, rightly so. But I, I want us to try to think through carefully, how do we define these terms? So, so what is revival exactly and how do we define that? Yeah, it really depends on who you ask. It's a little bit like manna. People say, what is it? I'm convinced you could put 100 people in a room and ask them to define revival and probably come up with 200 different definitions. Uh, among Southern Baptists, it's often been used to describe a, a scheduled meeting, a fall revival and a spring revival, series of, of meetings. Uh, the challenge with using it in that way is that you could actually have someone make this statement, we had a revival, but no one was revived. So the revival basically means to wake up and live. It's when God restores the hearts of his people, those who already know him, back to, to deeper fellowship with him. It's a returning to our first love. The way that I like to say it is that you have to be vived before you can be revived. So if you're lost, you don't need revival. You need conversion. So just a, a few definitions that I think is, help us work through that. Robert Coleman, one of my mentors, defined revival as the awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. Duncan Campbell, who saw revival in uh, Scotland, 
define revival as a community saturated with God. And I like the very simple definition. Revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. Okay, that that's really helpful. You know, when we think historically, we 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 can uh, remember certain events like the first great awakening, the second great awakening. Sometimes we hear these words revival, then other times we might hear awakening. Can you talk about what is an awakening and is there a difference between revival and awakening? Yeah, Dr. Aikens, good point. Many people use those terms synonymously. I think there are three different things that we're talking about here. And so I use three different terms to describe them. I use the term renewal to describe when God works in the heart of a single individual. And I believe that can and should be the experience of every believer every day. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're renewed as we meditate on scripture. We're we're refusing to be conformed to this world. We're being transformed by the world. So I use renewal when it talks about a single individual. I use the term revival when God touches a community of faith. That can be a family, a small group, a church, a a campus community. And then I use the term awakening when the wider society is impacted. So making that distinction, if a revival happens, everybody in the church is going to know it. If an awakening happens, everybody in the community will know it. And and one of the real mysteries, and I've been studying revival and spiritual awakening for over four decades, why does not every revival turn into a spiritual awakening? That's one of the great mysteries. I believe you can have a genuine revival that deeply impacts the people of God, whether that be in a church, in a college, That doesn't always spill over into the broader community as it did in what we know of as the first great awakening. Mm. Okay, that's really helpful. I think clarifying those terms, I think, would be really helpful for for many of us. I want to get to your thoughts on some of the things that are going on right now at Asbury and now that it's kind of spilled over to some other universities as well. But I want to, before we do that, I want to ask, thinking through revivals, because that seems to be the language that we're hearing a lot right now. How do revivals generally begin? And then what are some of the the markers that we're looking for? Well, I, I believe every revival is birthed in prayer. Armin Geswin, who, who was a great prayer warrior of the previous generation, once wrote an article, every revival is really two revivals. And his point was the first revival is a revival of prayer. And then in response to that, God graciously sends what we would call uh, revival. Uh, Part of the mystery of revival is why God in his sovereignty chooses to visit us at some times instead of others. I I like the way one person put it. He said, "You, you cannot pigeonhole revival because the pigeon will simply not stay in the hole. Uh, God God works. And one of the principles we see of revival throughout history is variety. But it typically begins in the heart of, of one or two individuals. And, and how do we know if something is true revival? I, I think the work of Jonathan Edwards back in 1741, distinguishing marks of the work of the Spirit of God, have, have really stood the test of time as to what a revival, what a genuine work of God looks like. So just briefly, Edwards' five points it raises the esteem of Jesus. Jesus is in the spotlight, in a true work of God. That's the Holy Spirit's job, 
to bear witness to Jesus. Second, Satan's kingdom suffers. There will be genuine repentance, not not just feeling good, not even merely confession, but but a genuine desire to turn away from sin, to, to get as far away from sin as we can. Men and women will have a greater hunger for Scripture because the very Holy Spirit who inspired Scripture is also the one bringing revival. And then men and women will have greater discernment, more clearly see spiritual truth and error. Edwards believed that was a significant mark. And then finally, a new sense of love towards God and others. That, that's very subjective, but I think you see that in every revival movement. Okay. Yeah, those markers are helpful. Going back to Edwards, I appreciate you referencing that. Okay. You recently visited the campus at Asbury. So I would love to hear, you know, what are your thoughts on what's going on there? What are some things that you saw and witnessed? Yeah, I was there this past Monday afternoon for several hours, and and what I saw and witnessed uh, evidenced Edward's mark about repentance. It was a time where there was confession and repentance. There was heartfelt worship, both solemn and celebrative. There was biblical teaching on repentance. There, there wasn't a full-fledged sermon, but there was biblical instruction on repentance and uh, specifically on dying to self. I had mentioned in my church a few months ago that when I was a new believer in the 1970s, there was a lot of focus on dying to self. I, I, I heard that encouragement regularly, and it's been a long time since I've heard anybody in evangelical circles talk about that, there was a specific teaching related to that, and then a call to prayer just to ask God to help us die to self, die to self so that we can live for Christ mm-hmm. and for others. I I find that quite biblical. Yeah, you know, that, that language of dying to self, I can't think of, at, at, at least in the year 2023, something that would be more countercultural to our our community than dying to ourselves. You know, we're told to express yourself, promote yourself, advance yourself. You know, everything's kind of self, 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 me-centered individualism. So I think that language of dying to self gets us back to what is it that Christ was really calling his disciples to do when they followed him. All right. So how should we be thinking about what's happening at Asbury? You know, there's a, it seems like there's a lot of chatter back and forth on social media and other things. Some people are celebrating it, I think rightly so. Some people might be kind of skeptical or cynical. How would you encourage us to be thinking through what's taking place there? Great question. I I think there's a ditch on either side of that. There are some that are willing to celebrate everything and say this is the third great awakening. There are others who discount it. This is not a genuine work of God because of of different things that are happening or, or not happening. I do believe the ultimate test will be the fruit that we see in the future. But I don't think that means we can't make some observations now, any more so than when when someone makes a profession of faith at our church, we don't wait 25 years to baptize them just to make absolutely sure that, that this is real and genuine. We we baptize someone based on a credible profession of faith. So I, I think we can make some observations uh, right now. I, for one, am glad that we have college students who are in a chapel seeking God instead of out partying. I, I hope every Christian can rejoice in that regardless of of what they think about what's going on. But it's helpful for us to remember that in every revival, the results are mixed. That, that was true in the first great awakening as well. 
And Jonathan Edwards coined a phrase that I think is really helpful for us to think about. He, he said, we have to look at what is happening in the main. He said, on the fringes, there's always going to be excess. And Edwards saw that in the first great awakening. And but why is there excess? Well, two primary reasons. First, you have some, some young and exuberant and zealous people who are not yet completely sanctified. And that means they can say and do really stupid things. And there's also satanic opposition. Whenever God says, let us arise and build, Satan says, let us arise and destroy. So Edward said, we shouldn't be shocked when we see things surrounding a revival that that appear to us to be uh, excess. But in, in terms of what I'm celebrating, having done my THM thesis on the 1970 revival that began at Asbury and spread throughout the country, impacted Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, I interviewed 50 people who were there at Southwestern in 1970. I did these interviews in 1987 as I was working on my, my THM, and almost to a person, they said what God did in their life in 1970 still impacted them, still marked them. They still bore the smell of revival smoke in their lives. And as I posted on Facebook about my observations at Asbury, I've had students who were at Wheaton in 1995 when we saw a revival there contact me and say, yeah, what, what happened in 1995 marked me for life. Reconnected with one student who had entered Wheaton, feeling called into ministry, decided, no, I, I want to go into business. I want to make money. And during that week of revival in 1995, God reoriented his heart. He's now a pastor in Florida. And, and as he said, that that week transformed my life. So that that's what I'm praying for these students, uh, that there would be that life transformation that 25 years from now, they would be able to look back and say, God, God got in touch with me uh, mm. during that week. The Great Commission is a call to go. And a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. Yeah, you know, this is a side note, but there's a reason that I'm having the conversation with you because you've been writing and studying this stuff since I was uh, three years old. So <laughs> I, I'm glad to be having the conversation with somebody like you who's been looking at this now for, for four decades plus. All right. You know, nothing happens in a vacuum. We know historically there have been other events that have been similar to this in different ways. Help us think a little bit historically. What are some of the uh, historic revivals and or awakenings that, that we should be aware of that we should know about as Christians today? 
Yeah, certainly what is known to be the called the first Great Awakening. It, it obviously wasn't called that at the time. It was simply called the Great Awakening. But once you had the second Great Awakening, then they started calling that one the first. So the first Great Awakening was in the 1740s, uh, beginning in New England, but really spreading throughout the land. Second Great Awakening, early 1800s, deeply impacting America. 1857, 1858, we had what people call the prayer revival or oftentimes the layman's prayer revival. It wasn't a a movement that was launched by prominent preachers, as in the First Great Awakening with Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. It was largely a revival of prayer, but some one million people were converted in America in that span of about 18 months. 1904, uh, Welsh revival that spread throughout the world. 1970 in Asbury, impacted the the campus there, but then spread not only to other college campuses, but to churches. Again, I I wrote my THM thesis on that, and it was amazing to see these ripples of revival and how they went out. And then I personally was able to experience this on the campus of Wheaton College back in 1995, as we had five days of people seeking God, worshiping Him, confessing of sin, repenting, So those are just some of the works of God. This has also happened around the world, and there hadn't been as much written on that, but there's a book by Mark Shaw called Global Awakenings that that I would encourage particularly listeners to this podcast who have a heart for the entire world, not simply North America. I'd encourage you you all to, to get that book by Mark Shaw, Global Awakenings, where he documents the work of God in many places around the world, not just North America. Yeah, that's that's helpful. And that's a good segue. I want to kind of transition to some kind of rapid fire type questions here. You you just mentioned sure. the book there by, by Mark Shaw. Are, are there any other books that you might recommend to our listeners related to revival and uh, to awakenings? Yes, I've, I've mentioned Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Banner of Truth have publi- has published a book called Jonathan Edwards on Revival. It's taking three of his works and putting them together in one volume. I, I think that's a great starting point. There's a book by Ian Murray called Revival and Revivalism where he tries to distinguish between revival as something that that God does and God sends and revivalism where we try and work this up in a a sort of a man-centered approach. I I think that's a helpful resource. Overall, if if people just want to read an introductory book, I, I think Brian Edwards' book, Revival, A People Saturated with God, very good introduction. In terms of prayer for revival, Earl Hulse's book, Give Him No Rest, A Call to Pray for Revival. And then I've already mentioned Mark Shaw's book, Global Awakenings. Okay. This is another kind of side note that's kind of interesting. You know, you kind of think through how revivals change communities and or maybe to, to use your categories, revivals might change a church, but then an awakening might change an entire community. I was talking with some friends recently who are missionaries in Wales, and you mentioned the Welsh revival 1904. You know, now we have IMB Southern Baptist missionaries that are there in Wales, you know, 100 plus years later, and very small percentage of the population goes to church. But they were telling me that one of the remnants from the revival is that even still today before rugby matches 
these rugby teams will sing these these old Baptist hymns that got kind of popularized during the revival times. And so here we are 100 plus years later, and before they play these rugby matches, they're singing Baptist hymns. I'm sure that many people in the community kind of wonder what what is going on? Why is this here? But it's just kind of a traditional thing that they do that can trace back to those revivals. So that's great. Yeah. All right. And the next question is kind of a fill in the blank kind of question. Obviously, you mentioned several markers, several components and characteristics to revival. But if you had to boil it down to to one, I want you to answer the question, fill in the blank. The most central component characteristic of revival is blank. I would fill in that blank with repentance. Jed Winor noted that when we pray for revival, most of us don't really have a clue what we're praying for. We think we are praying for ecstasy, but revival doesn't begin in ecstasy. It begins in agony. It doesn't begin with laughter. It begins with tears. And and I think that's one of the definitive marks of of revival is that we are convicted of our sin. We not only confess it, we seek to turn as far away from it as we can. Mm. You mentioned earlier about the potential for maybe some people to try and and manufacture revival. So I want to ask a question related to that. Is there a danger in people trying to manufacture this? And how should we be thinking about that potential? Absolutely. There, there's always a danger. And I, I think back to 1970 and something that Dennis Kenlaw said in, in response to a reporter. Reporter said, now, now this has happened on this campus before, right? Dr. Kenlaw said, yes. And he said, uh, so was it that that people just decided it's been a long time since we had one of these? We, we need to do this again. And Dr. Kenlaw laughed and said, no, we, we've been trying that every year since the last one to no avail. <laughs> he said, what happened this last week is that we opened the chapel doors and God walked in. Mm, mm, that's good. All right. Last question, Dr. Booker, in light of what's taking place, you know, at Asbury and some other college campuses across the country right now, how would you encourage us to be to be praying? Yeah, uh, great question. I, I think we need to pray for God's protection for those who are at Asbury. As I mentioned earlier, whenever God says, let us arise and build, Satan says, let us arise and destroy. Satan would love to sow many tares among the wheat that is there. So praying for those involved, praying for the leaders. It's a very difficult leadership task to try and shepherd and steward a movement of revival. How how do you maintain that balance between order and freedom? What I saw last week, those in leadership at Asbury were shepherding it well, but we need to continue to pray for them. And then I, I would just say each of us individually need to pray for our own hearts. Uh, someone once asked D.L. Moody, how do you start a revival? And his response was, well, it's really simple. And they said, what, what do you mean simple? I, I would think you would say it was hard. No, no, Moody said it's actually really simple. Here's how you start a revival. You get a piece of chalk and you bend down and you draw a circle on the floor. And then you lay aside the piece of chalk and you step inside that circle and say, dear God, please start a revival in this Mm. circle. Mm. You don't have to journey to Wilmore, Kentucky to experience the manifest presence of God. God says, when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. And that's what all of us need to be doing individually. Mm. Amen. Dr. Booker, thank you so much for, for your time and for the conversation today. You're welcome. Joy to be with you. 
To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu slash BGS, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.